Hi, my name is Nicole Fitton and welcome to my Pocket Full of Words short story podcasts. Each month I'm going to try to write, record and upload a new short story for you guys to listen to. I do hope you enjoy them and thanks for listening. This is called Come Till He Come. It's one of the first short stories that I ever wrote and I entered it for the Exeter Writers Literary Short Story Competition in 2016. And I was very fortunate enough to be long-listed in that competition. So without further ado, I shall read for you Come Till He Come. I try hard to keep my voice smooth and steady I want to scream, come here, you bloody naughty dog, but I don't. My cheeks are reddening. I can feel the eyes of those dogs sitting perfectly. They are burning holes into the back of my head. I will not turn around, I will not. A gentle hand is placed on my shoulder, and Chris is by my side. His voice is calm and controlled. Take your time, Trish, take your time. He's trying to reassure me, but nothing can reassure me today. Tilly has been perfect all week. She has walked to heel, displaying traits of a well-trained Lipizzana dressage horse. She has sat patiently, looking at me with those dotingly beautiful hazel eyes. Look, Mum, I'm a good girl, she says. You lulled me into a false sense of security, you cheeky madam. I turned up for Sunday morning training, full of hope. This would be my week. This would be the week we held our heads up high, the week we cracked it. I would look each and every one of you in the eye and not feel inadequate. But now, in a field full of farmers, with their perfectly trained gun dogs, the walk of shame is mine. All mine. I am three for three, setting a new club record for the worst behaved dog ever. You, however, are running at the top of the field without a care in the world, with those fluffy spaniel ears flapping away. A straightforward retrieve, Chris had said. Nothing straightforward about Tilly, I thought. You were perfect. Right up until the point you were meant to come back. Circling me two, three times, you wanted me to be impressed, but not coming close enough for me to grab you. At least the dumb is still in your mouth which is one consolation. A live bird would not fare well with Tilly. I watch you go, I'm envious. Your oblivion to my anger is total. Has it only been three weeks since we commenced this journey through the seventh circle of hell? It had seemed like a good idea when mum suggested it. It'll be good for you to get out and meet people. You can't stay cooped up forever, she had said, in that sage-like way only mothers have mastered. Dilly had been her idea too. Daniel has been gone now for six months and three days. Each day as I wake, the realisation sets in again and I cry. Great, big, chunky tears appear from nowhere. And so my day begins. Tilly knows. Somehow she understands. She lies quietly at the end of the bed, waiting for me to notice her. 
She is my rescuer, whether she knows it or not. The days are slightly more bearable now that I have a focus and a purpose. Mum was right about that. My days are no longer filled with trips to the hospital, desperately looking for a car parking space close to the foundation cancer unit, praying that Dan doesn't have to walk too far and that today will be a good day. Towards the end, I became adept at sussing out where a parking space might be found in that horrendous car park. It had become my thing, my game. For me, it was a way of bringing a sense of normality into our fragile existence. I would arrive at the unit early. I'd drive once around the block to eye out the parking possibilities. And then I'd spent the best part of two years doing that, going around that bloody car park, around and around. If I found a space within five minutes, Dan would do well. If it took more than 20 minutes, things would be bad. Those are my rules. After all, it was my game. I even gave it a name. I called it the Car Park of Death, or CPD for short. Everyone at the unit was lovely. I didn't want them to be lovely. I wanted them to be harsh and cold and horrid. I wanted to scream and kick and punch. My first childhood fight had been in infant school with Jade Carter. She'd taken my pencil case and wouldn't give it back. She'd goaded me, telling me to come and get it, laughed incessantly as I tried to grab it from her. I remember her dark eyes staring at me, bewildered, as I landed a punch square on her jawline. Even then I had a temper. I wanted the staff at the unit to be like Jay Carter. I wanted a reason to land a punch, to feel the sense of temporary relief I knew it would bring. Instead, I smiled and said, thank you for everything. Finally, the time we craved started to slow. Each day stretched into segments of waiting, regulated only by rounds of drugs and hospital appointments. Was it Tuesday? If it was Tuesday, it would be a trip to see the cancer nurse. No, no, it was Wednesday. Wednesday was chemo day and time to play car park of death. Our friends no longer seemed to visit us. Dan was always trying to put on a brave face, but he was always tired and his immune system was low. His eyes had sunken so far back into his head that he joked he could now see life from a whole new perspective. His sense of humour was still dark, still deliciously funny. It was towards the end of February and bitterly cold when time stood still for Dan and I. Ironically, it was not cancer that got you in the end, but a secondary infection, pneumonia. You had wanted to see the snow on the moors. It had been such a beautiful day. We sat in our mini, wrapped in blankets. Mum had insisted we took those crazy silver space blankets. You know, the ones they give to runners after they've done a marathon. We had hot water bottles and two thermoses full of tea. I packed your dosset box full of morphine sulfate and multicoloured pharmaceuticals and off we set. What a sight we must have been. You were wearing two sweaters, your favourite jeans, even though they now engulfed you, two pairs of socks, 
plus a pair of bed socks, a thermal jacket, a silly woolen hat with ear flaps and that crazy space blanket and you made me smile so much. You were wrapped up like an expensive silver Christmas present. You pretended you knew how a turkey felt and you flapped around with your arms flying wildly. You were but a remnant of the man I married, but I loved you more that day than ever. The cold was biting at your bones, but you insisted we make that trip. You knew it had to be then. You asked me to play Queen's Greatest Hits and Don't Stop Me Now seemed very appropriate as we bumped our way towards Dartmoor. I saw you wince as we encountered a few potholes and I tried my hardest to be more vigilant, scanning the road as best I could. But a journey that started out with two was completed by only me. It had been bright and crisp as we sat in silence. Holding hands, we looked out through the windscreen at the snow-capped hills, snow hills. Never before had they been so radiant. Your breathing was shallow by now and patchy. It had been a good way to die. It had been your way to die. As I drove us back, another one bites the dust played on the radio. Inappropriate? Yes, but it was your kind of deliciously funny. I knew you were smiling at the absurdity of the situation and that comforted me. I lived in eternal winter for a while, numb, lost and wholly unhinged. I didn't feel anything. I would wake up sweating, suffocated I think by sadness, but still I felt nothing. Only when mum poked her head around the door that windy April morning, carrying you, Tilly, did I feel anything at all. And so that is how you came into my life. You didn't know it, but you saved me that day. Your helpless energy and undivided loyalty saved me. I should have named you Naughty Dog then, but I fell for your charm and called you Tilly after a sprightly old lady I'd once known. I excused your bad habits and your very odd smells. You were, after all, a baby in my care and I had to look after you. It's now June. The days are warmer and the fields are not quite as muddy. The farmers are out in force, ploughing and planting. Eyeing me curiously, they watch as I'm dragged at full pelt through the fields by a flash of liver and white fur. At least you're on a lead at this time, you naughty dog. On Sundays, however, the farmers of Devon all seem to be standing in the same field as me and radiating an inner smugness. They and their obedient mutts are the creme de la creme. We, young Tilly, my girl, we sadly are not. We are what's called a work in progress. You had ventured closer now, but not close enough for me to make a lunge for you. The lesson won't continue until all dogs are under control. All dogs are under control, 
except for you, my crazy girl. Call her again, Chris encourages. I use my, I'm not mad with you voice as I utter that well-known call to action used by all North Devon farmers. Come Tilly, come. You eye me cautiously. We've been down this road many times during the last few weeks. I do not hold out much hope. But then, as if you know, because you always know, you bow your head and slink towards me, dropping the dummy at my feet and sitting up perfectly. <laughs> I want to kiss and smack you at the same time. Instead, I deftly slip the leash around your neck and breathe heavily. I look at you proudly. I have now joined the Smug Farmers Club and it feels good. You look up at me, panting. Your tongue is flopping to one side in a slapstick kind of way. If you could talk, I know you would say, I did it because I could. We both know who wears the trousers in our house, don't we? Chris has offered to give us lessons midweek to help bring us, me, up to speed. I can hardly refuse after your Oscar-winning performance today, can I? At least I didn't have to jog up the muddy hill like last week, so things must be looking up. For all of your faults, and believe me, I can recite a list as long as your tail. I love you. Unconditionally, I love you. You listen to my ramblings, to my outbursts of anger at the complete and utter randomness of it all. And I know you sense my sadness. The way you lay your head down between your paws and stare up at me. When I feel as if the darkness will never lift, you nuzzle up close, your wet nose reassuring me that I'm not alone. I know you understand and you have fed both my heart and my soul. Tomorrow I may take you to the beach. Dan loved the beach. We'd wander for hours, breathing in its salty beauty. I wonder if you'll love it too. I should tell you about the time we got caught out by the tide and had to make a run for the dunes. How somehow along the way, the car keys were lost and how we found a rotund man and his metal detector and he saved the day. You will pad along beside me. Yes, you will be on the lead. You will give me a look that says, I'm listening intently and understanding every word. Now let me off this darn lead so that I can now chase whatever takes my fancy. Ooh, look, water. Ooh, seagull. I'm thankful for you, my beautiful baby. I'm thankful for you, Tilly. I may think it is I training you, but we both know the truth, don't we, my girl? I hope you've enjoyed Come Tilly Come. And I'll be looking to share more of my pocket full of words with you as the weeks go by. So for now, bye bye. You have been listening to Come Tilly Come by Nicole Fitton. First published in the Words Catch Fire short story anthology. To find out more about me and my work, please visit nicolefittenauthor.com.
Thanks for listening.